Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you here today. Well, I look forward to sharing with you uh, the reason for why these orange cones are on this stage today. I want to take you on a journey. That's part of the reason. I want to take you on a journey back through some of the mysteries that we have been studying as a church. We've been looking at a series of study called Faithful Management. And we derived our study from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, which gave us the instruction originally that as managers of the mysteries of the gospel of God, that is what we've been called unto. And so if you're going to be faithful, or if you're going to be a manager, you're going to be counted faithful. And so we felt like it was critical for us as a church, if we are going to be held accountable for the mysteries of the New Testament of our Bible, we probably should know what they are. Back to some of the things we've looked at, and I'm using these orange cones and some signs today because I want to use a road sign method to teach so that we can understand God's plan for the ages. And so as we begin today, I want to just go backwards. And so work with me here because I've got a, I got a whole bunch of props we're going to work with today. If I put them in order, we're going to be in great shape. So we're going to start with the cross because the story in our New Testament begins here for us with the cross of Jesus Christ and what happens in the mysteries that go with this. This was the mystery of godliness where God was manifest in the flesh. God himself came down. God was the one who died for his creation. Incomprehensible, the creator would die for his creation. But he did, and it created then the mystery of the gospel that we can now preach because it was the cross of Christ and then ultimately the resurrection of Christ is the mystery of the gospel. Now, don't forget, the word mystery in your Bible does not mean something that we got to do all these codes to figure out. The word mystery is a truth that has been there all along, but now it's revealed. And so each of these are mysteries that the New Testament clearly lays out in front of us so we can know what they are. And so now we are responsible for those. So now, as a New Testament believer in Christ, what am I? I'm, I'm a steward of the gospel. I'm a steward of the fact that God himself came to this planet. So there's a message to be told. But now, the next part of this is exciting for us because this is the age we live and we are known to be, obviously, the church. This brought about other mysteries that were revealed, and that was the mystery of the church itself, the bride of Christ. That's supposed to fit right in there. All right. The mystery of the bride of Christ, but also the body of Christ. Now, when Jesus described this, he, that's not supposed to happen. So if, there's any of these thing, if anything goes wrong with my props that was not part of the plan, I'm going to be really disappointed and completely stressed. So don't worry, I'll, I'll be fine here. But now that just looks terrible. So I'm going to fix it because you can't have the church a half a bubble off plum or I'll be dry, that'll drive me crazy. All right, so it, the church, Jesus calls out the church to be the bride of Christ and he's the husband. And we saw this in Ephesians chapter 5. But there was other mysteries that go along with not only being the bride of Christ, but we're called the body of Christ, where literally he is the head and we are the body and members in particular to where he now indwells us as the body, which is another mystery itself, is Christ in you. We've studied these things of talking about the mystery of Christ in you, but the mystery of us in Christ. And these are all mysteries that are embodied in the church, which is the age we live today. From the cross and the resurrection until where we are right now is called the church age. And matter of fact, in Bible thinking, this would be a parenthesis of time because if you watch in your Bible, the way God keeps time is watching through the nation of Israel. And so I talked about that some last week. 
And so there's a big event that's still coming yet on the calendar. It's another mystery that we revealed just last time we were together. And that is the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is at the end of our church age. It's at the time when the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And when the rapture takes place, what does that actually mean? It's the term that is used to be captured, to be called out, or to be drawn away. And it's a very forceful event where the Lord Jesus Christ descends and meets the church in the clouds and the, the church arises and goes up to be with the Lord in heaven. And we learn that those who have already passed away, whose bodies are in the ground, no matter what state that body is in, it will resurrect. It's the promise of the resurrection that the immortal will put on, or the mortal will put on immortality and the corruptible will put on incorruption. We will be changed. We will be transformed. You will get a glorified body. But we will be with the Lord forever, just as he promised when he said, I'm going to my father's house and there's many mansions there for you. And I will come again and receive you unto myself. And he will fulfill his promise. That mystery was laid in there. And we've looked at even Old Testament examples where people were captured away and drawn out that were walking with the Lord. And so we get to see that embodied in the, the rapture. This could happen anytime. The prophecies of the Bible that would necessitate for the rapture to take place, it's all set, guys. It's all ready. Now you'll say, well, Dwayne, people have been saying that forever. That is true. The apostle Paul believed it would happen during his time as well. Oh, what does that let you know? Well, you look at all the other events that have taken place in history that just keep confirming the scriptures, one thing after the other, after the other, that would only define this, that the time is imminent. The time for this to take place is any time now. And so we need to be ready. So that's the mystery of the rapture. But that ushers in then another time. And it's the mystery in a time called the tribulation. And the tribulation time is intense. Now, we looked at this when we were together last week, that when the church is removed, there's some cool things that God does here because God's focus is on the nation of Israel. We, we talked last time about how the, the Hebrew people since, since uh, 600 B.C. were a people who had been displaced from their home country, their homeland, scattered, persecuted, trampled under the foot, and should by all definitions not even be a people group at all in the world. However, by the providential hand of God, they are a people, they are a people of God, and matter of fact, so much so that God made a way for them in, in the early 1900s, God made a way for them through Lord Balfour of Great Britain, a declaration that gave them permission to go back to their homeland, and Jews started going back to Palestine by the thousands. Now we realize that they suffered a great... Great, terrible tribulation time for them during the Holocaust. We know that. But you know what God still did? Even when there was a, an intent to exterminate and take them off the planet, God was still able to restore. And here's what happened in 1948. The nation of Israel became a nation once again, recognized as a sovereign nation among all the nations of the world. That is incomprehensible when you go anywhere except your Bible. But the Bible made it def definitively clear that this would happen. As a matter of fact, we even got to see the Old Testament illustrations of where these same things happened, where the Israel, Israel as a nation was displaced and God brought them back and God gave, granted them some sovereignty once again. And so guys, 
this happens during this tribulation time and it, it's the one of the components that makes it seem so imminent for the rapture of the church to be so, so near is the fact that Israel is once again a sovereign nation. Because during the tribulation time, this is a very unique time where the Antichrist is revealed. It's a unique time where there's, there's trouble on this earth, cataclysmic proportions that are hard to even grasp. And that's some of what I want to walk you through today. And so today, the reason for these signs and what I want to try to do I want to take things that I think sometimes are hard to grasp. It's hard to even talk about it. And I want to try to sequence them together in a timeline. So hopefully it'll make some sense. So I want to first go to where Jesus started talking about this when the disciples were curious with Jesus about, Lord, when are you coming? How can we know it's, it's time? Matthew chapter 24, we're going to bounce around a lot. So you probably, if you, can you all see the screen through my signs? Please tell me you can or I'll be so disappointed. Okay, we're good. Um, it was one of the things I factored into my disastrous equation. So Matthew chapter 24, you guys on the front row, I know you're out. So that's just, you, you choose to sit in the spit zone. That's just part of it. So anyway, Matthew 24. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Good question. So now Jesus goes in to begin explain to them through the rest of this chapter of the signs and the way that they would know where we are in time. And he begins to explain what tribulation looks like and what great tribulation even looks like. But there was a definitive moment in this in Matthew 24 where he says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, he's obviously speaking to the Jewish people here, and those that would be in Judea at that moment are going to obviously be most likely Hebrew people that are going to see what's happening. Well, I want to explain today, when Jesus is describing there's a significant moment, the abomination of desolation takes place that Daniel talked about, well, we need to go see what was Daniel talking about. Daniel chapter 24. Chapter 9, verse 24 says this. Daniel 9, 24. Daniel sees and is going to prophesy something here. And he says, now 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Now, time out. Daniel's going to go through a 70-week sequence. And the term weeks in the Bible is used as a unit of time. And it's not just a seven-day process like we might always see, though it could be that. But it's also in a seven-year time slot. And that is seen multiple times in Scripture. So it's a unit of measure that can easily then be seen as weeks of years. So before I lose any of you here, Daniel's going to describe 69 weeks kind of embodied in one chunk, and then there's this 70th week that hangs over here in the balance. The 69 weeks leads all the way from the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem all the way till Messiah gets cut off, which would mean when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem and they scream, Hosanna, Hosanna, but then he gets cut off, as we all know. Now listen, there's 69 weeks of Daniel's prophecy was accounted for, but that 70th week just kind of lingers out here in the balance. Well, let's see what happens. Well, in Daniel 9.27, it says, Then he shall, being referring here to this abomination individual, this 
antichrist, this one who's coming that creates all this trouble, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That would be a seven-year time frame. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined, it's poured out on the desolate. Now, notice what he just said. In the middle of the week, something's going to break. The abomination's going to take place. This is what Jesus was talking about. The abomination of desolation. Well, what in the world are we talking about here? Let me grab another sign. Stay there. All right. We're talking about the Antichrist revealed. This is a mystery. The Antichrist is revealed. This is who Jesus is referring to at the abomination of desolation, and it's at the midweek point. So now just imagine with me here. The tribulation time is a seven-year time frame. The church is not here. God's focusing his attention on the, on the Hebrew people. But do Gentiles become Christ followers during this time? Yes, and so do Hebrew people as well. People of all kindreds, nations, tribes, and tongues will come to know Christ even during this time, but it will come at a tremendous price tag. Most who come to Christ and will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ during this time will die for their faith. You see this in the book of Revelation. They're gathered around the throne and they're, they're ones that were beheaded for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very intense time that has yet to come in world history. But when the Antichrist is revealed, what, what will he do? Well, let's see it in Scripture. In Daniel chapter 7, seeing this same t prophecy, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. And then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Now remember, we're talking a seven-year time frame. A time, times, and half a time is three and a half years. This is repeated in the book of Revelation many times. And you'll see it in this way. 42 months, time, times, and half a time. Or 1,260 days. No matter how you slice it, it's three and a half years. But here's what the deal is. At the beginning of the tribulation, the Antichrist does a master stroke with the world. He, he forms a peace treaty. We just read this in Daniel 9. He will confirm a covenant for one week, a covenant of peace. It's a peace treaty where Israel will be at peace with the nations that are surrounding them that have none, done nothing but wanting to exterminate them forever. But somehow there will be a peace accord drawn with Israel. And things will seem to be chill. However, halfway through this, a terrible event takes place. The temple must have already been rebuilt, which right now is not, because right now there's too much conflict around the piece of real estate where the temple is to be built. I got a good hunch that the Antichrist will be one who could probably get all that resolved so that temple can get built. Why is that a big deal? Well, let's look. In Revelation 13, 5, he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Now let's go forward to 2 Corinthians, or Thessalonians chapter 2. And now I want to show you the text, the mystery revealed. We're going to bring it all out in the open here. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes, Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, 
not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as it is from us, as though the day of Christ had already come. The church at Thessalonica was worried that they'd missed the day of the Lord, that Jesus had already come and in terms of the return and it's like, ah, what happened? Or they missed the gathering of the saints and well, what if we missed it? And he's like, time out, you're good. So verse three, let no one deceive you by any means. The problem was there were false teachers constantly coming in and deceiving and claiming to be the Christ. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, we call him Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now this is the big moment. The abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist, you're talking the devil in a human form, the Antichrist goes into the temple of God, sits on the throne of God, and claims to be God. This is what Jesus is referring to. This is at the halfway point through this seven-year tribulation time frame. It's a complete disaster because obviously many are deceived. But the one thing the Antichrist does now, he breaks that covenant of peace and now he turns and now he wants mass execution for anyone who names the name of Christ. This is where you see in Revelation where you see those numbers that are written on people's forehead or on their hands, the 666, because in this time, people either take the mark of the beast and this mark of this antichrist, or you take the mark of God. If you have the mark of God, you'll probably die for your faith, and not you because you won't be here unless you're not saved, and then good luck to you. But, but anyway, we'll talk about that before we're done here because I'm trying to save you here and trying to help you, okay? <laughs> But now watch out, this Antichrist is revealed. This is the mystery. Now watch verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. He's not revealed yet. We haven't seen this guy yet as far as we know. Now I realize every president that's ever come along in America is always named the Antichrist by somebody, but we haven't seen this happen just yet. So at any rate, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Now here's what you can bank on. The, the work of Antichrist is already going, and it has been going for a long time. There's, it's a perpetual drip in the culture of, of the world. That is why. In Ephesians chapter 2, remember, we used to, before we were Christ followers, we walked in this manner of life that was according to the course of the world. Well, what does that course look like? According to the prince of the power of the air. There is a course that this world follows that is orchestrated by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of Antichrist who is already at work. And you know what he does? It's a constant perpetual drip of lawlessness and contrary to God in anything that would lead anyone away from Christ to never put their faith and trust and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And so constantly gonna be bashing against the scriptures to turn an entire culture away from the Bible, have any authority in your life to where now it's just another book and it's, and it's one full of contradiction and it's one full of problems and it was only written by sinful people and, and it's exalting false religions and it's exalting humanity to where humanism becomes the, the, the whole realm of how we want to behave is the focus of self and it's a perpetual drip, drip, drip until eventually we become inoculated to it. And it's just normal. It's who we are. It's what we know to be. 
This is the, the uh, mystery of lawlessness that's already at work. And he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. I believe the Spirit of God is restraining this and will, is going to let it go. Because God's always in control. There's never a time here in all the course of what we see here today that God is not in control. The beauty of the whole story is God has had a plan for your salvation and for you to be in his family, has paid every price for that to be possible, lays out even the whole plan so we can see it all. And so there's no reason for us to be walking out of here today in unbelief. Verse 8, then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. This is his power source. This is the human version. Satan has a trinity in the same way that God has a trinity. And so the Antichrist is the human version of Satan. So he's doing his bidding in the same manner that we would see of the trinity of God. But it was working with Satan is with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception. This is his work. Corruption and deception are the keys so that we, we don't believe the truth. We see lies and we, we comprehend and follow the lies. And here's what happens. Those who perish, why do people perish? Meaning die and be separate from God for all of eternity. Verse 10 explains it, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. How tragic that the truth of God is revealed and yet not received. Why? Because the Antichrist does his bidding through this perpetual drip and culture to where we don't see what's true. The God of this world blinds the mind so we can't see. So all we believe then is the dark stuff and the, the things that are contrary to God. And so then when truth is revealed... We don't believe it. You say, well, how can anything ever permeate through that? That's the great part. It's because greater is he that is in you than he that's in this world. And the power of God is not in any way limited by this God of this world, small g, by the way. He's not limited in a bit by the Antichrist. God allows that whole thing to go. And at the same time has a redemptive plan. And everyone who by faith just sees the scriptures, believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, they're saved. For all of eternity. That's incredible, the plan of God. 1 John chapter 2. How can you then see what the Antichrist is doing? How can you identify? Because he's, he's clever. The spirit of Antichrist already at work. Well, who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either, and he who acknowledges the Son has the Father. Now, here's where it all separates. You have myriads of religious concepts in the world today. And nearly all of them lead to a place where there is a higher being than all of us and called a God or God by whatever name. But here's where it all separates. Some will even, will even say they believe in Jesus. Some will call him the Redeemer. Some will call him the Savior. In fact, it hasn't been that long ago that some 
pair of individuals came pounding at the door and was sharing this truth that was not truth. And then first in our conversation, it seemed like we were on the same page that this Jesus guy, Savior, Redeemer, we were using all the same language. So my question then was, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Oh, absolutely not. Oh, okay, now I see where we're at here. He's not the Son of God. Well, then who is he? Well, now we're going to reduce Jesus to a prophet, a great teacher, the most incredible human being that demonstrates humility for humanity. And now Jesus gets reduced. But now here's what happened. The Antichrist, that spirit of Antichrist is revealed. And how can you know the difference? Guys, sometimes this is really tricky stuff. I've sat with people of different religions and had a lot of conversations that would end up being this concept that basically all roads lead to heaven. That as long as you believe in God, you're good. Let me just tell you, the book of James says that even the devil believes in God. And so the spirit of antichrist that's already at work, don't miss this. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Any that denies that is Antichrist. And whoever denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. Now, don't miss why that's important, because Jesus already said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. But the spirit of Antichrist is already at work. You know, one of the reasons why I'm very passionate about discipleship and spiritual maturity in believers. My, I feel like my, God's given me a very clear, defined calling in my life, and that is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the unbelieving can have an opportunity to be saved. But also to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that we would know the Word of God. Know the Bible. And try to establish ways for us to learn and to grow, whether it's in small groups or in, it's in a one-on-one -on -one discipleship relationship. But the importance of growing in our faith and growing in the maturity of the Word so that we don't become a people that just sit back and wait for someone to spoon-feed it and teach it, or we just plug into the next podcast. And it's one of my great concerns for this generation is the fact that now we, we'd rather listen to somebody tell us what the Bible says in their own language and their own concepts as opposed to reading what does the Bible say? And are we equipped to learn it? And do we actually know what it says? And it's critical for us because why? Because the spirit of Antichrist is always at work through false teachers and deception and constantly working in the church. That's why that when we see the role of pastors and teachers even in the, in the church, in Ephesians chapter 4, for what purpose? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto the, a perfect man, unto the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's talking about maturity. And that we would be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by the slight of men and cunning craftiness. If you just think about what that sounds like, a, a child can be... be 
cause to believe anything and suckered into going here and going there and and in the slight of men and cunning craftiness is how the antichrist works and so discipleship matters being equipped in the word matters learning to study your bible for yourself it matters because why because the spirit of antichrist is at work even now but during this time this seven-year window this is intense because he goes into the temple of god claiming himself to be god which he has said all along that was the the objective and now the peace treaty's broken and now the pursuit is on and when you read your book of Revelation, and this will maybe help you to see, okay, from about chapter 5 to chapter 18, you're watching this whole tribulation time go down with all these cataclysmic events in the world, but specifically after the Antichrist is revealed, woo, it gets crazy. Because God pours out his judgment on the nations, but God is also pouring out his judgment here with the Antichrist on the scene. And there's a clear separation between those who follow God and those who don't. But there's something else that happens during this tribulation time that's real important. And that is Babylon is destroyed. Babylon is seen all the way back into the Old Testament. But when you get into Revelation, it can be a half bubble off plunk. It's a messed up deal anyway. False religion. That's what it is. Mystery Babylon. Let's see it. Revelation chapter 17. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Guys, this is imagery, but he explains it. He sees a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. She's not real pretty. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her head a name was written... Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. That's one colossal tattoo, by the way, on the forehead. I'm not sure how it fits, but this is a woman. Well, who is this woman? Well, it's explained. I'm not going to read the whole text because it takes too long, but go back and see it. It's summarized here in verse 18. And the woman who you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Well, what's being described here? This is a city of influence that reigns over the kings of the earth where the Antichrist does his work, but it's really, this is false religion personified where you get to see it out all the way. But God's going to crush this false religion, but it's a mystery that's being revealed. Mystery Babylon. Well, now here's what we know. If it's a mystery, there's a truth that's been there the whole time that we need to figure out what's going on here. What is it that God's wanting us to see? Well, when we go back, you remember in Genesis when the fall of man took place and there was a curse that was established on Satan. And he let Satan know right up front, because of what you have done in deceiving the man and the woman, the woman, through the seed of this woman, there will come a child that you'll bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And there was a, there was a curse pronounced there. Well, ever since then, the idea of a woman with a baby has been taken from being seen through the view of being the Lord Jesus Christ ultimately, which we see it that way, but throughout history. And even now, the concept of a woman, a goddess, a queen of heaven, 
with a baby boy has become the idol of worship for the world. It began in Genesis chapter 10, where Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. This dude rose in preeminence among his people as an incredible hunter and then was able to build kingdoms, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Now, why does this matter? Because the story goes with this guy that when Nimrod died, they parted him physically, literally, they cut him to pieces and distributed his parts all over. His wife, Semiramis, said that he is now the sun god that people began to pray to. She somehow has a child without a man being involved. And this child named Tammuz, this baby, was Nimrod reborn. So he's come back. And so this concept now of this queen of heaven and this child is worthy of worship. Well, now this starts taking shape all the way through Scripture where you get all the way to the book of Judges. And I, 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 there's so many verses. I only just cherry-picked a few because for time we can't do them all. But by the time you get to the book of Judges and Israel's now inside the promised land and they were warned already that the Gentile nations worship these false gods and the goddesses. By Judges chapter 2, verse 13, they, being Israel, forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth is a fertility goddess. One of the things that's connected to each one of these goddesses or queens of heaven that are always solicited through Scripture is they're all connected to fertility, sex, and sexuality every time. So it doesn't take rocket science to figure out, well, what is the false religion that's constructed here for the world of today? Yeah, it is, of course, praying unto a woman and worshiping of a woman and not so much the child. Or it is worshiping the child. You can go to any culture. Guys, we could go today to India, and you have a woman with a baby. His name is Krishna. And that's the worship. You can go to the, the Phoenician area, the Eastern Mediterranean side of things, your Syria, your Lebanon, and those areas. Woman with baby. You go into the European area, same. Come to the United States, same. But you take it into another area here that's outside of just the manner in which we pray and how we seem to go unto the Son and perceive the Son Himself. No, it's beyond that. It's a, it's a spiritual religion that takes place in the area of sexuality and fertility and exalting that above everything else. In Jeremiah chapter 7 and 17, he says, Do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, the women knead the dough and make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger, God says. Because there's no queen of heaven but they've exalted one to be there. You get all the way to the book of Acts and Paul goes into the city of Ephesus and a huge uproar when he preaches the gospel because it is the, the home base of goddess Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And when he preaches the gospel and many people become Christ followers, the business that surrounds all of that starts to diminish. The little shrines, the necklaces, the earrings, and all, those, all the artifacts that go along with worshiping this great goddess it seems to diminish, and now there's a huge upheaval. 
In Acts chapter 19, it says this, And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? We all know that. But yet Paul is in the middle of that preaching the gospel and people are coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. But why do I share this with you? Because all of this Babylonian false religion, it didn't just die off in the New Testament. No, it's still alive and well. The majority of the world today still believes in a queen of heaven in some form, whether it's worshiping the moon, the sun, a woman, sex, sexuality, all of the above. And we've been given a stewardship in light of this in order to take the gospel, the good news that has been blinded, that they cannot see. But not only that, it's being mindful of the seduction that is taking place in our own lives. It sorrows my heart to say this out loud. But studies even in North American church would say that 70% of the men in the church, in church, regularly look at pornography. And 35% of the women. It would be deemed as an addiction saying, I've repented of this a hundred times and I keep trying to stop, but I can't. That's a religion. It's a devotion of my heart. It's where, it's where that goes, right? And so there's a spirit of this that has been at work all the time, this lawlessness that's here, but it's a religion and wrapped up in this mystery called Babylon that ultimately our Lord Jesus Christ will smash it. But we need to understand the realities of it, and it's at work even today. It's at work constantly trying to sow its, sow its threads through the church. And so what am I supposed to do with that? Well, number one, it's helpful just to be aware it's reality. That it's beyond the point of just being, well, it's just an appetite for my flesh in some way. No, this is way bigger than that. This is to steal your heart and your devotion and your energy and your time and your relationships, and everything that has to do with who you are in Christ, it's trying to steal that, and corrupt that, and destroy that. Never lose sight of the fact Satan has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus said, I came to give you life, and life more abundant. So here's the great part. Now we get to finish, and we'll finish pretty timely. During this tribulation time, Seven years will lapse. Antichrist will be revealed. Babylon will be destroyed. And our Lord Jesus Christ will come back. This is awesome. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, Revelation chapter 19 says this, I saw in heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule with the rod of iron, and he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. 
And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this is the return of our King. When Jesus Christ comes back, just by the word of his mouth, he smites the enemies that are opposing God's people. And God will then rescue all of those who have survived to that point. God will now rescue them. And now what is established? Jesus comes back and now he is on the throne. For how long? Well, that's the next sign. It's the millennial reign. For a thousand years. For 1,000 years. Now here's what's cool about this. If you want to take a note and take a picture of this later... Revelation chapter 20 tells you exactly what happens. In Revelation 19, the return of the king happens. In Revelation chapter 20, it begins with this. Satan is bound and put in chains for a thousand years so that he has no power to do his bidding as he's been doing. He's out of business for a while. For 1,000 years this happens. Christ is on the throne. Those who live through the tribulation will now procreate and multiply during this time. At the end of this 1,000-year reign of Christ, Satan will be loosed for one last round. At the end of the 1,000, read it in Revelation chapter 20, he's loosed for a short season. When Satan is let loose, he will deceive many. How many? As many as the sand of the sea. Many will follow after his deceptive, vile ways. Even with Jesus on the throne... Yes. But here's what's beautiful. From the angelic hosts that were created where Lucifer fell and ultimately became the devil himself, through all of humanity, clear till the end, everyone will have an opportunity, has had an opportunity, to say yes or no to Jesus. A third of the angelic hosts checked out of heaven, they left. They followed Lucifer, ultimately Satan. Throughout human history, many have said no. But obviously, as many as the sand of the sea also have said yes to Jesus. Jesus comes back. He reigns for a thousand years. And at the end of this thousand years now, Satan's let loose. There's one final battle. It's called the Battle of Gog and Magog, where all the enemies of God are put out of business. Satan is then cast to the lake of fire. He's done forever. That's it. But there's a spot here that's real important. At the end of Revelation chapter 20 is the great white throne judgment. This is the spot where all of those throughout history have said no to God. And they will be brought before the throne of God. And the books will be opened and the books will be according to their works. And they will be judged according to their works. And sadly, our works will not save. There is no work that any of us can do to repay God for our trespass against him with our sin. Only Jesus can pay our debt. So all of those who have said no will be judged at the great white throne. It's also at this time where we see there that the heaven and earth pass away. But that just leads into the last one. Revelation chapter 21, chapter 22 is the new heaven, new earth, and all of eternity. 
where those who love God, worship God, serve God, and rule and reign with God as kings and priests for all of eternity. And we're at his throne. Why? Because we believed on him as the king. We trusted in our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one else. And this is all the mysteries revealed. You can now see it, hopefully right in front of you, all these different mysteries of the New Testament that God chooses to lay them all out wide open. It says, now, if a man's counted faithful, be faithful with those mysteries. We have a truth to be told, a truth to be lived. Like, Dwayne, I'll never remember all that stuff. You don't have to remember all that stuff. You know what? You study all that stuff. You learn it. You live it. And God will remind you in the right moments, at the right times, to be able to share those things as need be. But we have been given the stewardship of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what's cool, guys. We've also been given the stewardship to know what is yet to come. And God's already laid it out so we can see it. I pray that it, my, my prayer for today was this, of course, that the word would accomplish its purpose and that anyone here today that is not a Christ follower yet, you'd just be so blown away by the Bible to see God has had a plan for you all along and God has a plan for the ages. He has a plan for the earth, the universe, everything. And he's got a plan for you to be with him for all of eternity because he loves you and paid the price for it to be so. My prayer is that every Christ follower that's in this place today, you just, your confidence in the word would go up, your understanding of the word would increase, and your appreciation for God, his power and his might and his kingdom would just would multiply. But it would also stir in us an urgency to recognizing that in the midst of all these things that are happening, the majority of the world today doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior. They name something else. They worship something else. Their heart's given unto something else and don't know any different. And yet God has made us the stewards of the greatest news that anyone can ever hear. And that is that their sin that's been paid by someone. And that they can know forgiveness. And that they can know that they have eternal life. And those are the things that mankind just clutches so strong to that They'll throw their faith in anything that might give those. But we know who gives those. And that's the message that we have to proclaim. I invite you to bow your heads with me. I realize this morning that this is a lot of information to take in. I couldn't think of a better way to share it, but this is what we did. But I believe the Lord has given to us to know the mysteries, to steward them. And I pray we understand. And with this today, if today you've come to this space and you're not a Christ follower yet, right now, just right in your seat, 
to have a conversation with Jesus. He's the Savior. He died for you. The, creation, the Creator came to His creation and died for His creation. For you. The wages of sin was death, and so He took your wage and paid it for you. And gave it as a gift now of eternal life. Have a conversation right now with Jesus from your seat and just ask Him to save you. Lord Jesus, I, I ask you right now to, to save me from my sin. I believe that you are the Son of God. You are the Christ. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking for eternal life in you. And you can have that prayer and that conversation with Jesus right where you are in your own words. It might not be those words. Christ follower today, I don't know what God's impressing on in your heart when it comes to being a steward of the things of God. But guys, our time's short. The world needs the gospel. And whatever maybe is in our hands today that we need to just lay aside that is not of God's kingdom, let's lay those things aside.